0: My brother finally listened to the first episode and he messaged me and asked me if my sinus infection was gone. So I told him, well, you'll just have to listen to the second episode. So I thought we would just go ahead and call him and see if he listened to the second episode. He's probably still asleep though, but we'll try it anyway. Hi, you've reached. Yep, he's still asleep. Hi, and welcome back to the Not My Will But Yours podcast. I am L Johnson. I am the host, and I am just here sipping on my iced coffee from Starbucks. I actually haven't been getting Starbucks a lot here lately because, you know, saving money. But if for some reason you don't have access to a Starbucks or it's kind of far like mine is, I have a tip for you if you like iced coffee. This is only for those iced coffee lovers. So at the store you can get Starbucks, like cold Starbucks brew in like a bottle, like a big gallon, I guess you could say. I'm not exactly sure of the size, but even better than the Starbucks one, is actually a brand called Stoke. It's S-T-O-K, and I actually prefer that brand over the Starbucks brand. I mean, I love Mia Starbucks, but the Stoke iced coffee, for some reason, the store-bought one, is just so smooth, and I really love that. So if you are looking for a little recipe, simple at-home iced coffee, get you some Stoke, and then get you some oat milk, it's the bomb. You just need a little bit of oat milk, and then a lot of Stoke, and it's awesome. I'm going to start including a little bit about my week at the beginning of the episode, just kind of as a starter, a little conversation to get us going. So I went to work, very exciting, and next week is Christmas, because today is December the 18th, Saturday, December the 18th. Next week is a four-day week, if you work a typical Monday to Friday schedule like I do, then my office is closed on Friday, Christmas Eve, which is awesome. And then we have Christmas Eve candlelight service on Friday. I am super excited about that. I love a good candlelight service. Let's see. My mom always has her Christmas on Christmas Eve. So we always go over there on Christmas Eve and open gifts and just kind of hang out. Ever since having my daughter, it's basically just kind of for her. And that's perfectly fine with me because I just love seeing her face light up. Even though she's only two, she still gets <laughs> excited about, you know, new toys toys and things like that so this year should be a little bit even more exciting than last year because last year I think she kind of got a little she was over (laughs) opening the presents and we kind of had to help her a little bit but I think this year once she realizes that when she opens it then there's something exciting inside then that will be awesome. I feel like I went a little personal this year with the gifts more personalized and because that's honestly what I prefer is a more personalized gift and I even prefer something handmade because it comes from the heart. I would much rather have something handmade. Actually, I, you know, I, and I don't, need anything at all. I don't want anybody to get me anything at all, but when they do, you know, if it's personalized or something like that, then that's awesome. Full disclosure, I usually ask my mom if there's something that I am wanting, like, one thing. I think this year I asked for house shoes, so if I get those, then great. If I don't, then, you know, it's whatever, but I usually ask her for the the bigger gift if I'm wanting something, and usually she asks me, like, what I want. So, this year, I asked for some house shoes, which actually, again, full disclosure, closure. This is what we're about. We're about being honest. I did ask for a little bit more of an expensive pair of house shoes only because I have had the same house shoe before. I had it, I think I got this pair when I was in 10th grade. So I was 16 when I got these pair of house shoes and I had those house shoes up until my dog chewed them up when I was in my 20s. So it's a good house shoe and I need like a good around the house type shoe. I've kind of been racking my brain trying to figure out how to make Christmas less about gifts because when I grew up, my thinking, and this is totally on me, was Christmas was surrounding gifts. So if I didn't get something that I really wanted or if I didn't get very many things, then I was disappointed, which I hate. And I and I still have that mindset where if I don't get someone something as a gift, their birthday or for Christmas, then they'll be disappointed. So I have that mindset and I don't want to have that mindset, which for me, if I don't get what I've asked for, it's not a big deal. And that's where I am now as an adult, but I feel like if I don't get something for somebody, then they'll be disappointed. So I try to get for everybody that I possibly can. Sometimes it's hard, but I do try. Ever since my daughter was born, I have gotten my in-laws a picture of her, but they, they're they kind of running out of space to put stuff like on the wall, because they have, they have four kids for starters, and they already had three grandkids before my daughter was born. So their shelves and their wall space is minimal. They don't have that much space to add stuff. So I steered clear of getting them a picture this year and went another route. My husband, though, is in charge of buying for his dad and he's in charge of buying for his brother-in-law and our nephew. So, three people. My sister-in-law is getting married next year. She's extremely easy to buy for. (laughs) I tried so hard to stay away from getting any of that stuff for Christmas because then she would end up with way more presents than anybody else when I can just get her those things for her birthday or for her actual wedding. So, Those types of things are easy to buy. Her fiance, actually, I kept running into things that I wanted to get him because we always joke that he needs his own pair of Crocs because he always wears her Crocs. And so I was at five below, I think. And there was a pair of like knockoff Crocs for five bucks. And I had already gotten him like three things. And I was like, oh my gosh, let's get these for him. And my husband was like, no, he's going to end up having more gifts than anybody. And I said, well, he's just easy to buy for right now. Now that I have my mindset on what I want to get him, he's easy to buy for. But needless to say, sorry, Preston, you're not getting knockoff Crocs from us this year, <laughs> but if you are looking for knockoff Crocs, they do have some at Five Below for five bucks, so that's nice. They also have some at Walmart that my husband got that were like 12 bucks, and they're essentially the same thing. So, we, we've we bought my daughter Crocs, and they're like, like actual Crocs, and they're 40 bucks, and that's insane. So, you can just get the Walmart ones or the Five Below ones, and you'll be good to go. So, when I was younger, we always went to the movies on Christmas when I was with my mom. My parents are divorced, so we would switch off one year with my dad, and then one year with my mom. And, and so when we were with my mom, usually go to the movies because Christmas, the movies are always open on Christmas. So, but they're always busy. So make sure and keep that in mind. A few years ago, we went to the movies and we watched the movie Downsizing <laughs> with Matt Damon. And it was number one, it's not a family movie, not at all, not at all. And we didn't realize that because we didn't actually look closely into the movie, which we should have done and we've learned from. It was not a family movie. It was good the first half, and I totally understood the message, you know, behind climate change and things like that, but it was a very long and drawn out movie, so a lot of people were falling asleep. It was just not really appropriate for kids, so we did have his sisters there who were, at the time, a little bit younger. That was- (laughs) definitely something to remember <laughs> the time that we went to the movies on Christmas and everybody ended up falling asleep. So back to what I was saying, I get sidetracked every once in a while, but that's okay. What I was saying earlier about me only having a gift mindset around Christmas is that I don't want my daughter to have that mindset. I want it to be centered around Jesus and I want it to be centered around family and togetherness, but I'm just, I mean, she's two, so really next year, the year after, I need to start implementing these new traditions, so I need to get it figured out. I just don't. I just don't know how to execute that idea. So if you have any ideas, let me know. Let's pod at yahoo.com. Just send those to me. But today, what I really wanted to talk about, apart from what was going on in my week, and things like that. I wanted to talk about the story of Abraham and perspective. So, my perspective when I was younger, my perception of Christmas was based on my perspective, which was that Christmas was centered around gifts, and I don't want my daughter to have that same perception of Christmas. There is a story in the Bible that caused me, because of my lack of knowledge, to have the wrong perception of God, and of Abraham. I'm not an expert, and I'm actually going to do this by memory because I wrote it all down, but I, want, but I want it to be natural. I wrote out an entire script for this episode, and it was in like the form of an essay. I was actually really, really stressing about the difference between perspective and perception, and I actually had to remind myself that this podcast isn't an essay. This isn't an assignment that I'm required to do for a grade where I need to be on my English A game. It's not a class. It's not something I have to be completely polished and I had to remind myself of that, especially last night when I was really struggling. I just researched over and over again the difference between perception and perspective and then I got really stressed out because I was like, they're so similar that I know that at some point in the podcast, I'm gonna get it wrong. I just had to shut my phone off, stop researching the difference, and remind myself this is just me talking. This is me sharing my life experiences, me sharing my my walk with God, and my diving deeper into the Bible to understand it more than I have ever before. So, I had to actually, and I told my husband that too, I said, I've got to stop writing out scripts that look like essays. The good thing about having a script is that I can outline everything that I want to say, but I haven't opened it this entire time. I may use the words perception and perspective incorrectly, so just just bear with me because English is hard sometimes. I have to google the difference between effect and effect every time I have to write it. So, then I resort to just writing impact, which is what the internet, of course, the internet's always right, right? What the internet tells you not to do is don't resort to just using impact, but guess what? That's what I do. I just put impact because I don't know the difference between effect and affect, and is it even really that big of a deal? And spelling is hard too. You know, the word definitely, I always have to look it up, so I usually just put def, def, if I'm like typing it in like a chat or in a message or a text message or something. So, if I write def, definitely. That's because I didn't want to look it up, or I spelt it too wrong that my autocorrect still didn't understand what I meant. But anyway, I digress. So I'm going to try and go off memory on the story of Abraham because what's important is that you understand how I got this wrong and then how I got it right. My perspective led me to perceive Abraham and God in a different way, in a way that almost unraveled my entire belief in Christianity because of this one story and a misunderstanding. All right, let's get comfortable. Okay. So, the first time I heard the story of Abraham was a few years ago. Now, mind you, I have been a Christian and a believer my entire life, but I never studied the Word on my own. I just kind of went off what was preached at church, mostly Sunday school and church camp and youth group, which to be honest, I actually don't remember learning that much in youth group, but I remember learning the most at church camp. That did not include me reading the Bible on my own, learning the people in the Bible. So my husband and I have been on this path to read the Bible more, and he, it's funny how how different people are because he's taking the approach of reading each book, just reading each book in its entirety and go, going in sequential order, where I I am taking an approach of learning the people in the Bible and reading it that way. There's nothing wrong with either way. It's just funny. It's just interesting to know, to see how different people learn. I was in Sunday school at a church that we that we actually don't go to anymore but it has nothing to do with this it just that it was kind of far away for us to drive so we moved somewhere that was a little bit closer. But I was in Sunday school and they told the story of Abraham and I didn't have any context of anything from Genesis 1 to 22. In Genesis 22, if you have no context whatsoever and you start at Genesis 22, what you're going to read and what you're going to hear is going to kind of shock you where God commanded Abraham, he was Abram up until before this, a few chapters right before this. He's now Abraham because God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. At this point, he has a son named Isaac and God commands Abraham to take Isaac to the top of a mountain to sacrifice him. Now, this this is where I struggled because I didn't Again, I didn't have any context. I didn't know what had happened between God and Abram up until that point. This is all I'm going off of is Genesis 22. And so God commands Abraham to take Isaac and to sacrifice him. So that's all I had. Abraham does it. He takes his son up to where God commands him to go. He places Isaac on the woodpile to be burned. And right before him holds up the, the sword or the knife that he's going to slay him with, and God tells him not to do it. And that's it. Pretend like that's all the context that you have. At that point, I questioned everything. It was extremely heavy on my heart for a very long time. And it made me question, why do I believe in this? Why am I following a God who would ask someone to do that? It hurt me in my heart. To think about it. Fast forward a few years later, and oh, and at that time, you know, I didn't consult the text. I didn't consult the Bible. I didn't ask questions. I didn't read any commentary on Genesis 22. I didn't do anything except take the information that I was given and speculate. I filled in the blanks myself. This is what I was thinking, was that God told Abraham, if you love me more than you love your son, then you'll sacrifice him for me. That's what my brain was telling me. That was my speculation. I didn't have any of the other information, and I was filling it in. In myself with my worldly views in my own speculation so my perspective was off because I was ignorant to the text fast forward a few years and this comes up in the Sunday school class that we're in now the story of Abraham and I finally spoke up I said I struggle with this story I do not understand how a loving God could ask someone to do that why would he put Abraham through all of that pain and have him process the fact that he's going to lose his only son and the fact that he has to sacrifice him? Why? Why would God do that? And I asked that. And the Sunday school leader said it wasn't because God just asked him to do that. Abraham already knew that God was going to provide another sacrifice. Abraham knew that he was not going to have to sacrifice his son. You know, his worldly view would be, of course, he's going to have some emotions about it because he's a human being and human beings have those earthly feelings because we're human. But he knew that he wasn't going to actually have to sacrifice his son. I can get on board with that. Again, Still not having any context, still not consulting the text, still only going off what Genesis 22 says. Now I'm in a a Wednesday night group, and it came up again. What have you struggled with in your Christian walk? And I said, the story of Abraham. I've always struggled with that until recently, whenever I got a little bit of clarification. One of the women said, of course, that's a great example because now your perception of God is off. Now you think that he's a God that's going to ask you to choose between your child and him, and he's going to have you do something horrible. That's not who God is. Present day me, present day me, 2021 me, my husband and I decided that we were going to dive deeper into the text. Of course, my first thing was I'm reading about Abraham because I've struggled with that guy for a while. So, I pulled up a commentary Bible Hub is an app where you can get commentary, which I, I wouldn't have known about had I not been in this Wednesday night group that I'm in, which is why fellowship is extremely important because we hold each other accountable and you can learn from each other. It's just something that I also didn't used to believe. I used to believe that you could be a follower of Jesus Christ and do it all on your own and you can't. You need fellowship. You need to learn from each other. So I looked into Bible Hub and I was reading some commentary and then I just kind of googled the story of Abraham. There's so many resources. So if you're curious about anything in the Bible, just Google it. Don't read just one source, though. Read multiple. So then I realized that Genesis 22 isn't where it started. It started back way in Genesis 12 when God asks Abram to move from where he grew up, pack all of his belongings, take his wife Sarai at the time, and his nephew Lot, and move. He didn't tell them where they were going. They didn't know anything except that God told them to move. So this is where we start. God. Commands Abraham, Abram at the time, to have faith that God is going to provide when he says he's going to. So he leads him to the land of Canaan. Now, here is one thing that I am going to read off my notes because I don't want to get this wrong. Genesis 12, I'm going to read this to you. I believe this is the NLT version because that's typically what I go for. But if I copy and paste it from a website, then I'm not sure what version it is. But Genesis 12, 1 through 4 says, the very first book of the Bible, this is very early on in the creation of the world. Genesis 12, 1 through 4 says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran, Haran. H-A-R-A-N. He was 75 when this happened. So, number one, you're never too old to follow God's lead. You're never too young to follow God's lead. But Abram was 75. They traveled from where they lived in Haran. That's what I'm going to call it, Haran. Not knowing where they were going or how long it would take, but they landed in Canaan. Then God says, I will give this land to your children after you. That's Genesis 12, 7. Abram didn't have any children at the time, so this is a promise from God that he would eventually have children. He doesn't have any right now. He just has his nephew Lot. Now, because I'm nosy, I googled, and I just love random facts, I googled how many miles it was for Abram and his family to travel from Haran to Canaan. And this is an article that I did remember to copy and paste into my notes. And it's an article published in the New York Times on March 13th, 1983. And it's titled Footsteps of Abraham by Malachi Martin. And I will include the link in the show notes. And this is what it says. Abram traveled 700 miles from modern-day Turkey. If I'm going off of this, I would say that Haran is modern-day Turkey except that some commentary that I read said that he started out in Ur, Ur, which is just the letters U-R, so Ur. And Ur and Haran are not the same place. I'm not 100% sure if he started in Ur or if he started in Haran because later in the Bible it says, I brought you out of Ur, but in Genesis 12 it says, leave Haran. But I still wanted to know, and it says that he traveled 700 miles from modern-day Turkey, which is either Haran or Ur, to the borders of present-day Iraq, so he went from Turkey to Iraq, another 700 miles into Syria, another 800 down to Egypt by the inland road, and then back to Canaan, which is now Israel. So if you do the math, that 700 times 2 plus 800 is 2,200 miles. It doesn't say how many miles back to Canaan was, so it says that he went from Egypt then back to Canaan, but Google says it's 381 miles from Egypt to Israel. So, 2,200 plus 381 is 2,581. 2,581 miles. But then, just to compare and contrast, I googled the exact miles that Abram traveled and it says 7,568.9 miles. So, someone's math is wrong and it's definitely not me, the person that failed college algebra and had to take it again. But, you know, it was a long way. I guess in conclusion, we can say it was a really long way that Abram, Sarai, and Lot traveled without knowing where they were going, but just going because God told them to go. In Genesis thirteen fourteen through 18, it says, I am giving all this land, once they arrived in Canaan, I am giving all this land, as far as you can see, to you and your descendants, again, he didn't have any descendants at the time, as your permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that, like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built an altar to the Lord. And like I said, Abram didn't have any descendants, so there was a promise from God that he would have descendants. Genesis 15, 7 through 9 and 18, it says, Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur. And of the shaldeens, to give you this land as your possession. Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Then the Lord told him to bring him a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old goat, female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I've given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. First, God promised Abram, leave your country and I will provide. He took him to Canaan, okay? So, he provided for him. But the next thing that came was a famine. Instead of staying in Canaan, like God asked him to, they left and they went to Egypt. This explanation is coming from Christianity.com, and I will try and find the article and link it in the show notes. So, it says, then came a famine. Instead of staying in Canaan, he took his family to Egypt where food was more plentiful. So, instead of staying in Canaan, he went to Egypt disobeying God. And problems in the family began immediately after this. Abram realized his wife Sarah was beautiful and which would create a problem for the, for the Egyptians would desire her and kill her. So he lied and told everyone Sarah was his sister. So because he disobeyed God and went to Egypt instead of staying in Canaan, he then had to lie about his wife Sarah. So that was an issue. Let's recap a little to make sure that you're still with me. I would have gotten lost back whenever I started doing the multiplication. So I completely understand if you're a little confused. So God took Abram and Sarai and Lot out of their home country. He asked them to stay in Canaan. A famine came and they went to Egypt instead. So then he ended up lying to the Egyptians about his wife saying that it was his sister and not his wife. So, he disobeyed him then. Then, God asked him to bring those sacrifices that I had mentioned. Abram didn't do it exactly right, but it says that even though it was a small act of disobedience, it was still disobedience. And that night, the Bible says, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then, God told Abraham that while his descendants would indeed inherit the land, they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. So, the point is, We see Abram obeying God's commands, having faith that he will provide. Then he loses his faith and something bad happens. Genesis 16. Sarai, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But remember, God promised that they would have children. She had an Egyptian servant. So Sarai had an Egyptian servant named Hagar, H-A-G-A-R. And Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children, so go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And so Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. And that's, that's not what God told them to do. But in the end, Abram and Hagar ended up having a son named Ishmael. Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Again, God is promising Abraham that he is gonna have countless descendants. At this point, he has Ishmael, which is not a son through Sarah. He is a son through Hagar. He's still promising Abraham that he's gonna have descendants. At this statement, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you a father of multitude of a multitude of nations, I am changing your name. You will no longer be Abram. This is Genesis 17. You will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants, all of your descendants after you, from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God descendant of your of your descendants after you. Right after that, God changes Sarai's name to Sarah in Genesis 17. And it says, I will bless her after changing her name. I will bless her and give her a son and give you a son from her. Okay. Yes, I will bless her richly and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. The exact same thing he told to Abraham. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of one hundred? Remember, he's ninety nine at the time. Then, if Sarah gets pregnant, by that time he's going to be a hundred. How can Sarah have a baby when she is ninety nine years old? Abraham said. So, Abraham said to God, May Ishmael, remember, that's his son that he had with Hagar, may Ishmael live under my special blessing. But God replied, No. Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant." So then Abraham and Sarah both laughed when God told them that they would have a child in their old age. Their laughter at God's plan showed their disbelief that He could do what He said He would do. Genesis 18:13-15. Then the Lord said to Abraham, "Why did Sarah laugh and say, "Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, God said, yes, you did laugh. And I actually, I know it's not funny that she laughed, but I think it's funny the way that it's written in the NLT. It says, Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. And then God said, yes, you laughed. Like he's calling her out. Yes, I saw you. Then Sarah becomes pregnant. So at this time, that's kind of a long-winded story. But the point is, God has provided when he said he would provide. God has, I wouldn't say cursed, but he caused, you know, something bad happen when Abraham didn't obey him, okay? So that's the path that we're on. He obey, God provides what he promised. He disobey, he gets a punishment. So at this point, Sarah is pregnant and Sarah has a baby and they name him Isaac. Then we get to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, 1. Sometime later, this is the NLT. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, because Abraham had faith in God... He provided before, he going to provide this time too. Abraham got up, he saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him, and took his son Isaac with him as well. He chopped wood for the fire, for the burnt offering, and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. And then we'll come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, God will provide a sheep. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it, then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven Abraham! Abraham! Yes, Abraham replied, Here I am! Don't lay a hand on the boy! The angel said, Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up, he saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named that place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What I had understood, because I had only read Genesis 22, or I had only been told about it, I didn't even read it. I had only been told about it. What I thought was God asking him who he loved more. It wasn't his love that was being tested. It was his faith. God did not ask Abraham, who do you love more, your son or me? He didn't ask him that. He wanted Abraham to have such a strong faith that God would provide and do what he said he was going to do and provide his promises. God was testing that. He was testing his faith. He wasn't testing his love. Because Abraham had such faith, that God would provide the sacrifice. He knew all along that he wasn't gonna have to sacrifice Isaac. He knew that the Lord would provide. So my perspective on that story was completely wrong. So I didn't have all of the information. I didn't read anything about the text. I didn't gather as much commentary and as much evidence and facts as I possibly could. I just went off of what I was told and then filled in the blanks on my own. So the next time that you are given information and you have a knee-jerk reaction to that information, something that we all struggle with and we all, well, I don't know if we all struggle with it, but I know that we all face it, is that people come up to us and they want to gossip. That's a very worldly example of perception and perspective because your perception of someone can change drastically if you only have the perspective of one person. So, if someone comes up to you and they say, oh, this person did this, and this person did that, and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you just go off what they say and fill in the blanks for yourself without getting all of the information, and that can unravel your perception of somebody instantly. You can think, oh my gosh, I didn't know they were capable of that. I didn't know they were like that. So we need to gather all of the information. I know that I recently had a, had an encounter without giving too much information. I had an encounter where someone told me something and I had a knee-jerk reaction to then tell somebody about that without getting all the information or even considering the source. So you need to consider your sources as well. Now that we are equipped, with the knowledge that God was not testing Abraham's love, he was testing his faith. If you know a Christian that is struggling with that, then you can tell them, you can explain it to them. And if you yourself are struggling with a story in the Bible or something that God has done, ask somebody. Consult the text. Download Bible Hub on your phone. Read the commentary sections. Just search it out because there's so many resources these days where we can research and we can understand. We can see things from someone else's perspective. Our perception can be changed. In the New Testament, in Hebrews, it also refers back to Abraham. It, it kind of encompasses everything that I just said in the summary. Hebrews 11:17. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. He knew that God was gonna provide. Here is a commentary and it's not my own commentary, but I can't tell you where it came from because now I don't remember. It starts. We may believe or disbelieve the possibility or the actuality of such direct and distinguishable commands from God. But we do not face the facts of this narrative unless we recognize that it asserts that God made his will known to Abraham and that Abraham knew that it was God's will, not his own thought. But it was Abraham's faith, even more than his love, that was tested. God will provide himself a lamb, my son. He does not know definitely what he expects. He is ready to slay Isaac, but his faith is not quenched. Though the end seems so inevitable and near, faith was never more sharply tested and never more triumphantly stood the test. I'm going to try and look up where that's from and put it in the show notes perspective is such a powerful thing which I demonstrated I feel in this episode with the fact that my perspective my ignorant perspective my speculative perspective I was speculating all along what God was asking of Abraham and that changed my perception of Abraham and of God but now that I am equipped with the knowledge that Abraham had been tested way before Genesis 22 That he had been tested and God had provided and he had been tested and disobeyed and God had punished and then he tested and obeyed and God provided that he was going to provide no matter what he asked if Abraham obeyed. So though we may never have that direct and intense of a call from God, we can follow God and have faith in what he wants us to do in the world. This week's song recommendation is Hosanna by Hillsong United, the studio version. Typically, I like the live versions of songs, but I feel like this is one that if you listen to the studio version, it's a little bit more powerful. And I really love the line, I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. It's time for the millennials and Gen Z to step up and take their place in the world. So we have to figure out where is our place in the world? What have we been given by God to help the planet, to help this earth be a better place for everybody that's here? We can stand side by side with the baby boomers and and Gen X, continue what they're doing, and then go in and do what we've been called to do. So we each have to figure out what is our place in that equation. Where do our gifts lie? What can we do to help? Because we were all put on this planet with a gift and a purpose. And if we figure that out and channel that energy into the good for the planet and spreading God's word and getting everyone to do the same or as many people as possible, then that can be revolutionary in the best possible way. I definitely started this episode out talking about Christmas, and ended with, let's start a revolution in the best possible way, let's help the planet, and spread God's words. That's probably foreshadowing of how the episodes will probably be, where I start out on one topic and end on something completely different, but somehow it just flows that way, so that may be a fun game that we can play. Where does she start and where does she end and how different are those topics from Christmas to revolution? Maybe interesting. If you have any topics that you would like for me to discuss or any questions or comments or anything of that nature... Last episode, I mentioned that I would love for you to send me some praises that I can share, and the email for that is letstalkpod at yahoo.com. And also, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and rate the podcast. If you rate it five stars, that would be the best. If you're listening on any other platform, there may be a place where you can follow the podcast, so if you can do that as well, it'll help me out so, so much. Next week, I am going to go ahead and talk about marriage. I did intend to eventually talk about marriage, but recently, actually as of today, I feel it on my heart to go ahead and share what I know about marriage and what I've experienced. I'll share my experience up until the point that I met my husband, and maybe, just maybe, if we cross our fingers, Jonathan, maybe, will share his experience up until the point that he met me, and then when we got married, maybe some of the struggles that we faced and then overcame, and what we're doing now to grow our relationship closer to each other and closer to God, and then what our take on marriage is. I think a lot of people have different views on marriage and what's acceptable, what isn't acceptable, what's expected, and so I think that we'll share those with you, how we feel about it, and that will be an interesting episode, so make sure you tune in next week for that. Thank you so much for listening to the Not My Will But Yours podcast. I am L Johnson, and I'm going to leave you with a sound bite of a phone call from my brother because he did end up calling me back, so here's that. And remember, God loves you, Jesus loves you, and you are worthy. Glory to God. Have a wonderful day. Hello? Hey, what did you need? I was just going to ask you if you listened to the second episode of the podcast. No, I have not.